the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our second of our daily three-hour tour. We do so as promised with the great Brandon J. Weikert. He is the author of the fabulous book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He is the publisher and editor of the Weikert Report. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, totally free, The Weikert Report. And he is a columnist, of course, for not only American Greatness, but the Asia Times. Brandon, welcome back. How are you? I am very, very well. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Just fine. I couldn't wait to talk to you today because uh, there were a couple things I uh, that are right in your wheelhouse that that had been picking at me, and uh, and one of them is this piece in the Washington Examiner. You uh, mm-hmm. you uh, you mentioned it on on your Twitter account. Uh, why yep. a Sino-Russian split isn't likely anytime soon. Sino meaning China. Why a China-Russian split isn't likely anytime soon. I didn't realize this. I guess it was written by one of your friends. Tell us about this piece and tell us. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about this piece and tell us what you think of it. Well, I think that it's an excellent snapshot of what's going on. Um, Sean Derns, he's a great reporter. I read his stuff. We've connected uh, over social media in the last few months. Uh, We have a lot of contacts. We know the same people. So I I think he's excellent. Um, And I think this piece is is a great snapshot of where we are. Uh, His argument is basically that there are some in Washington and in 2017, maybe the last, probably 2019, I was among that group that was hopeful we could uh, create or engineer uh, reverse Nixon, where we, uh, instead of using China to go against Russia, we use Russia to go against China. And uh, what Sean's writing uh, is that basically that's not possible right now. I think in this moment he's correct. I think that too much time has passed by, uh, and so the great hope was, you know, triangular diplomacy that saved us. America was really at its low point in the 1970s following the Vietnam defeat. Uh, the, the triangular move by Kissinger and Nixon really temporarily kept America not only in the Cold War, but it also really set the table for the next big leader in the Cold War, Reagan, to eventually come several years later and put the final nail in that coffin amongst the Soviet Union. Uh, and so what Sean's saying is that the same thing can't happen here because, and this is sort of the penultimate uh, quote, he argues that the Sino-Soviet split, that was the, the split that allowed for Nixon to come in and get China uh, on America's side to contain the Soviet Union in the 1970s, uh, he says, uh, Sean does that, uh, did not have its basis in territorial disputes but in ideological rivalry. Mao Zedong was unwilling to view himself or his country as subservient to that of Joseph Stalin's eventual successor, Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, relations deteriorated between the two countries, uh, with each seeking to be perce- perceived as the leading communist party, right. uh, communist power. And then right. Sean concludes, 
that the Russia that has emerged from its ashes is no longer communist and the China today, while Leninist, has discarded Mao's adherence to communism as an economic model. And Sean is 100% correct in that way. However, to say that the Sino-Soviet split in the 1970s was not territorial uh, misses the point. They were fighting over disputed territory that in some respects remains disputed even today. Uh, it's just on ice, that dispute between Moscow and Beijing. So I think that there is plenty of room for us to maneuver Russia into a more adversarial position with China, but that requires Washington uh, to maybe be a bit more conciliatory or a bit kinder uh, to Russia, which right now is a very hard thing to do as Russia is beating the war drums in Eastern Europe, specifically Ukraine, but also helping Belarus to send these migrant armies to Poland's border, destabilizing the Baltic states. Uh, so, you know, in the long run, we might be able to actually get that triangulation going. But right now, for now, maybe for the next eight years, uh, Sean's probably on the correct side of that. Uh, we're not going to be able to. And as that happens, the concern is that momentum will be its own uh, sort of thing where Russia is so much weaker than China, it can't break free from China when eventually Vladimir Putin, or more likely his successor, wants to break free. And that's going to be the big problem here. Brandon, thank you for that and that summary. And people who want to read that piece, they can get it at the Washington Examiner or actually just follow Brandon, we the Brandon on Twitter. He links to it as well as as a shortcut. Brandon, is the problem we face at the end of the day a hard uh, Russia and a hard China or is it a soft United States? And I'll tell you why I asked this question. Yeah. I've been rereading a lot of material from the 40s, 50s and 60s. And it's amazing to me how united conservatives were in this country about not even shaking hands with people like Nikita Khrushchev. Eleanor Roosevelt got in trouble with Bill Buckley for saying she would shake Nikita Khrushchev's hand. And then it seems like somewhere after about 1968, uh, we, we, we started playing nice with Brezhnev. We started, right. you know, having hugs and kisses and um, and and warm meetings with him. While I remember as a kid, um, uh, American presidents uh, go, g- going gift in hand as well as hat in hand to Chinese leaders, whether they were Deng Xiaoping or Mao or their successors. Right. And it makes me wonder: did did China and the Russian leadership really change that much, or did something about American softness? Uh, uh, take hold. Yeah. Uh, basically, with China, it is a mistake to believe that they are somehow not communist anymore. Right. What they have done in China, and you and I have spoken about this in the last year, what they have done in China is successfully implement Lenin's last-ditch effort to save the Soviet Union before he died in 1925, the new economic policy, which is basically a state capitalist model for the Soviet Union that Lenin wanted to implement but couldn't because he died before he could. Um, that's what China, under Deng Xiaoping and now every leader since, has done since the 1980s, uh, is basically Lenin's uh, you know, new economic model. Uh, and so they're still communist politically, and they have certainly incorporated Confucianist elements, and they've adapted a lot of the nationalist rhetoric in China. But ultimately, at the core, China remains a communist state. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, is a little bit different. He, he's not a communist. He certainly yearns, though, for the power 
the geopolitical influence that the Soviet Union yeah. uh, had. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, he's, he's you know, still like the communists. But mm-hmm. he's, he's actually less of a communist than the, the Chinese leadership is, especially Xi Jinping. Mm-hmm. However, the problem is, you're right, weakness on America's part, consistently. We have consistently become on board from the fact that we cannot uh, do deals with countries like China that entire whose entire existence or raison d'etre is to basically displace the United States and make it a subordinate power to itself. Mm-hmm. And so we've spent 40 years now, you know, do, making these deals with the devil, thinking that it's anybody but the devil. Yeah. And now ultimately the devil's coming out and he's big and he's angry. And America now is at its weakest point since Jimmy Carter. And the problem right now that I fear is we really don't have a Ronald Reagan on the horizon. Right. Yeah. And we have a, a society that is fundamentally in a different place yeah. than it was in 1979. Right. And right now you see very quickly the autocrats, China, Russia, and Iran, pulling American military might and capital at a time when it's already stretched. And I have a feeling that once Ukraine goes to Russia, that, that, that Taiwan will then be attacked by China. And in that moment, you will have then Iran letting loose a nuclear fusillade, either Iran directly or Hezbollah and or Hamas against Israel and or Saudi Arabia. That will ensnare the Americans. And you now have a three-front world war occurring. And we're not prepared. We are not prepared, and we don't have the latent industrial capacity that we had in the Second World War after uh, Pearl Harbor. We don't have that today. The U.S. Navy is rusting, literally rusting. These images in the drive.com, which is a military technology news website, about how the U.S. Navy fleet is just rusting in disrepair because of over-deployment and not enough time in maintenance. Uh, is is very sobering. And if you're a Chinese emperor, you're thinking, I don't have to go to war right now with the Americans. I can just let them keep over-deploying themselves to every little problem playing whack-a-mole when we're playing go. Mm. And it's a problem. And if they're patient, you know, they don't have to do that much. And I gather they are patient. They measure history in millennia, not in years or four-year terms. Same thing with Russia. Right? And they're watching. And Iran. You, yeah, exactly right. And, they're, and, and they watch as, you know, more and more socialism takes hold here. More and more socialists, self-identified, get elected to, members, to be members of the House of Representatives and, in some cases, the Senate. You know, you sit back and watch. You kind of think time is on our side. We can wait this out. We can spend this out. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He's happy to take calls, too. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Our number, if you do want to talk with Brandon and myself six and me, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You know, Brandon Weikert and I are, I would say, I don't know what the phrase is, Good friends who've never met uh, in person is one way to put it. And and it turns out the more we talk, the the more we think and see things the same with a few few differences here and there. Um, and and you know, I Brandon, the one thing I don't know about you, which really in many respects is one of the first things I know about people. I don't know what your musical taste is. I don't know if you like my Johnny Cash and my Jimmy Buffett oh, and my, and my I, ACDC. I tell- 
I tell everyone that your show has the best bumper music. Oh, you're there with me. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Good. You're in. You hate the Romans yeah. enough. <laughs> okay, you're in. You can join the people <laughs> Judea's front, people's front for Judea. Yeah, okay, yeah. you know that reference. Too. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I want to do more ideology <laughs> with you, and I want to do add it, Ron, with a uh, segue to um, to uh, a, a bit about your 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 next book coming out. But before, as I offered the audience, I want to take some calls with you. Dave is in surprise, and he wanted to talk with you about existential threats. Dave, you're on with Brandon J. Weikert. Thank you so much for the opportunity, teacher, you to bet. participate today. You bet. Mr. Weikert, um, it comes yeah. down to the, the most basic question, I think, in the world. At the end of the day, with what's going on politically, internally within our country, whether you think somebody could have stolen the election, whether results have no meaning, whether there's no accountability for people that burn down cities, if they happen to be leftists. The stuff with Russia and China, because it's off our shore, who cares? Oh, okay. We, I, think per, I think personally, we have to write our house internally first. I have almost zero confidence that we'll have a fair and free election in 2022, and even if we did, those people don't take office until 23. It scares me that we'll have almost no country left. Well, let me, let me, let me do a version of that, which I have been talking about, Brandon, and see if you agree. Um, you know, in 1989, uh, when the Berlin Wall fell, there were not that many people sounding the alarm that, uh, that communism wasn't really defeated. You know, one yes. country's efforts at communism were defeated. We still had China. We still had Cuba. Francis Fukuyama, I think, was wrong. He totally missed the Islamic radical threat, by the way. Nowhere does it appear in his book. And there were only a handful of professors, a very few handful, saying, now be careful of the American university. And I do think we did think it all ended when the Berlin Wall fell down, and we were wrong about that. Do you do you do you take that as 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 true? Well, Curtis Bowers had a great um, uh, film in two thousand nine documentary called The Agenda, uh-huh. in which he de- in which he details that he ended up being an Iowa State representative for many years, in which he detailed when he was a student at Berkeley. He snuck into, in 1991, this was right as the wall was coming down, Soviet Union was on its way out. He snuck into the Communist Party of Berkeley's uh, meeting in which he said it was thousands of people, many mm-hmm. professors, many students, well-dressed, wearing Brooks Brothers, yeah. people you would think were your grandfather. Yeah. And he said the lead speaker was the head of the party on campus, was one of the, one of the advisors, the, the teaching staff, and he explicitly said... Finally, the Soviet Union is gone. The Americans will go to sleep, and we, the Communist Party of the USA, can go to work. Right. And that is precisely what they've done. So your caller is not wrong to say we have to get our house in order. And if you read me, uh, particularly my works at American Greatness or The American Spectator, I, I, I do write a bit more on domestic cultural issues. Uh, but fundamentally, um, we need to understand that 76 million people voted for Donald Trump. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. More people actually voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than they voted for him in 2016, particularly minorities. Uh, So the one thing that people need to to recognize is whatever nefarious doings went on in terms of electoral fraud, 
um, we, we, our side has a huge following, and I would argue is more galvanized today than it was even five years ago. I agree with that. Uh, and, I agree. And, yep. and, and I would also look, tell your caller to look at what happened in my old home state of Virginia yep. with the critical race theory uh, and, and how everyone assumed parents would just accept, especially in purplish uh, uh, northern Virginia, uh, that 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 they would just accept these horrific teachings that are clearly meant to destroy the minds of our next generation. And across the country, Democrat and Republican alike, parents have been standing up saying, "Excuse us, this is too far." Yep. So, if anything, I, I disagree with 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 the framing that your caller has. With all due respect, I don't think things are going to end that. I think the American people, by and large, are awakening to the fact that this country's out of control. It's a political class does not have its best interests, particularly its kids' interests at heart. And I think that we also need to not fall into the sense of, of, of such dire depression about the future on the right that we start entertaining these stupid notions of civil war. I would re- re- recommend everyone understand uh, that you can find these articles all over the Internet, that the Chinese consulate in Houston of 2020 was shut down that year when all those race riots were going on because the FBI determined that the Chinese Ministry of State Security, their intelligence arm, were sending agent provocateurs into the BLM crowd to galvanize the, the activists into being more violent than they would have been. So the Chinese are starting to manipulate what are natural uh, differences internal to American politics they're starting to exacerbate those divides, believing that Americans are more willing today than in the last 150 years to risk a civil war. The Russians are doing it also with uh, the cyber espionage campaigns, where they're galvanizing both the extreme left and the extreme right online, and then having them filter into the streets and taking these egregious political actions to show to the world to say, hey, the Americans are done for. Their system of government is broken. Their own people hate their own country. They're going to be killing each other soon. Taiwan, Ukraine, Israel, uh, everyone else, you better make new deals with the rising autocrats, China and Russia and Iran, who know how to manage things better. We're the future. And I think that that narrative must be fought. And therefore, I think it behooves the right and the left to recognize that while there are differences, Many Americans are on the same page on the big issues. It's just going to take one leader to unite those movements and get us back to where we need to be. We are not that far removed, if you look at it, from where we need to be. But right now, we don't have the right leadership. So we have to keep fixated on that. You know, when you step back, you're right. Look at the House and Senate. We're two votes out in the Senate. We're about eight votes, six to eight votes out in the House. That's pretty damned close and i wonder if it's i wonder if it's just too much of a generalization or not but i flirt with the thought all the time if you counsel failure and resignation and uselessness you get georgia if you counsel aggressive rolling up your sleeves and going to outwork the other side you get virginia i don't know if that's that's too gross of an overgeneralization but it's what I've been right. flirting with. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Let, let's take a quick break, Brandon. Yeah, Brandon, sorry. let me yeah. take a quick break. I just got to pay the bills, and we will be right back. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm. Yeah. <laughs> we laugh in a capitalist country about paying the bills. They cry in a communist one. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back.
There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, I heard that. I was thinking of that song. What is it? Circa 1983, 82, 83? Yep. Something like that. Uh, that would be, uh, that would be uh, what, Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, right? Yeah. And yep. uh, I heard the podcaster, Adam Carolla, saying, you know, we had this stuff figured out, folks. <laughs> we really did. We were on the path. That goes back to 83. He was there, pointing to that song. There was, also, hey. there was also a very controversial Saturday Night Live skit about that song. I remember, Sorry, yes. Uh, yes. So, uh, which is uh, the, the the radio host in New York now? Uh, uh, Piscopo, uh, yeah. Piscopo, Joe Piscopo, yeah. Uh, and um, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, called, that's uh, right. Called uh, I nearly say I am black. And yeah, 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 and yeah. It, and it was it was extremely controversial at the time. But today they wouldn't even be. No, it wouldn't go. It. No, it wouldn't air. It wouldn't. Air. No one would even write the skit. It. Everybody laughed at. Yeah. Yep. I remember that too. You're right. Good memory, yeah. Brandon. Really good memory. Um, before I leave China totally, and I, and I guess we can't ever when we talk about what I want to talk about next anyway, which is Iran. But before we leave China totally, I just wanted to bring up, you know, sometimes you miss things because they seem a little bit out of your area of expertise. Not you, and but me and others. This this um this controversy over I I don't know if I'm saying her name right, Peng Shuai, the tennis player, the Chinese tennis yes. player. Yes. yes. You know. I, I don't know where you are on boycotting the Chinese Olympics or not. I'd love to know. But I also have to say, whether she was telling the truth before or now, I presume she was telling the truth earlier before she disappeared. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to say the Tennis Association showed more internal fortitude, and another word I would like to say, than almost any other professional athletic league I can say by saying they I agree. Are, okay. Yeah. You agree with me, too. Uh, what, where do you stand on whether we should boycott or not? Well, I told you this a couple weeks ago. I, I really don't have an opinion on the Olympics. I don't care about the Olympics. I very rarely watch it. Mm -hmm. um, I like American football. Uh, you know, that, that's really all. Um, so my Also known as football. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, exactly. Okay. Had to keep you tied uh, to your moorings here, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, but, but if we're looking at it from a kind of geopolitical prestige element, um, the boycott of the Moscow Olympics under Carter didn't really work. Right. Um, and so, you know, I would rather be seen kicking China's butt in these games uh, than sort of just you know, leaving uh, the field as it were, because that just allows China to create yet another alternative narrative where they're saying that, well, we're the future and the Americans are excluding themselves again uh, and we'll go on. Um, I just, I, I mean, if we're, if we're going to take interest in the Olympics, take interest in the Olympics. Now, the concern is that there's a real national security threat or physical security threat to the Olympians, our Olympians, in that. The Chinese are going to require, under the imprimatur of COVID, they're going to require those Olympics to give over DNA samples, blood samples. Of course they are. <laughs> of course but they we, are. We yeah. forget We forget that China has a large, active, and expansive biotechnology program, experimental biotech program, specifically biohacking program. And I know this is going to sound insane to some people, but this is a legitimate fear. Uh, China has been seeking uh, DNA of what they think are genetically superior human beings, such as Olympic athletes, in order to incorporate it into a program where they are trying to gene dope their soldiers by giving them V 
DNA aspects of DNA from uh, genetically what they think are genetically superior people to give their special forces soldiers a an advantage. They have been doing this program since 2017. Uh, they they've not had much luck with it, but this is an active program uh, in China right now, and so there should be a concern that. We, we can't go to the Olympics in China if the requirement is our athletes have to give over their DNA under the guise of health you know, security protocols. Boy, maybe someone should make a movie called The Boys from Beijing instead of The Boys right. from Brazil. Right. That's where my mind right. went on this. My that, only that view, is, and that is where we're headed. Yeah, well, my Very only fair. view on the Olympics, I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong about this or if you think differently. I, I don't watch them much either. I have another quick break here. We have a longer segment coming up. I'll just leave you with this. You can comment on the other side. My only view of it is I think we sometimes take uh, countries whose political and cultural leadership, uh, which should be seen for what it is as belonging in the sewer, gets promoted on the world stage as uh, as a Disneyland. Um, it, it makes other uh, otherwise normal and legitimate concerns about these evil empires look not so evil when they get to parade their best and their brightest, and uh, and and they and they and they don't really go on the international stage in order to acculturate, acculturate the Philistines, as it were, but they kind of go on the international stage to say, "Look how great and advanced and beautiful we are," and we shouldn't confuse evil with that kind of cosmetic treatment. That's my concern. You can tell me if I'm all wet when we come back. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weicker. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. His book is Winning Space, theweikertreport.com. The Weikert Report is his uh, publication. You can also read him in the Asia Times, American Greatness. He writes for The Spectator. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon, uh, where uh, he highlights everything he's interested in. Uh, Brandon, um, I did want to talk about your upcoming book shadow war unless you wanted to say one more thing on the olympics you don't have to if you would if, if uh, i just i i think that uh, it's a very sad thing uh that the the chinese or the russians are even considered as uh, allowable venues yeah. for these things if yeah. you want to boycott the olympics how about we just boycott the selection of these locations yeah you know that's that and yeah that, that and the mind. olympic committee has been horrible about this yeah. For years, you know, I guess yeah. some notion that um, that if we could all just know each other better, we would get along. Didn't better. work in 1936. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it hasn't worked, and they were terrible then. You know, right? It was an awful, awful situation even then, and it doesn't tend to work out. I don't. I don't think communist, in that case, Nazi countries get exposed to American athletics and say, you know, we need to be more like America. What I worry about is more Americans view these things and say, you know, those Russians, those right. Chinese, they ain't so bad. That's what I worry about. Right. Yeah, right. I, I just think it detoxifies the toxic. Uh, the Shadow exactly. War. And, uh, I, I got an early copy. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, you bet. And I just, I just, I love this. I love what you're doing here. Um, it's a, it's about the Middle East and specifically Iran, but it's about other things too. 
One of the things, and you were mentioning this on uh, Twitter, I think, if 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 I'm not mistaken, I, I saw it somewhere. I think it was on your Twitter feed. You put a little excerpt in there. One of the things is we buy, we tend to buy into narratives um, oh, yeah. about about some of our enemies that just aren't true, and it worries us. It should worry us that these narratives are 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 so prevalent and ubiquitous. For example, mm-hmm. if you asked anyone who even knows the name Khashoggi. They would say he was a martyr to the free press and journalism. That's just not what happened here, right? Not even close. Not even close. Do you want to say a word on that? Yeah, so um, the book is primarily about Iran and what its role in the Middle East is, what it wants to be, and what we should want it to be, or what we should even be willing to fight to make sure it doesn't become, which is a nuclear-armed terror state. Um, but in order to tell that narrative or that story, I have to also put it into the wider context of the region. Right. So the bulk of the book is dedicated to U.S.-Iran, but I do have to go into you know the, the Saudi situation mm-hmm. and the situation with Israel. Mm-hmm. So part of that is the Khashoggi story, mm-hmm. because Jamal Khashoggi's you know, murder, and that's what it was, he was murdered brutally, by the government of Saudi Arabia, um, uh, his murder fits into the overall narrative of U.S.-Iranian relations because when he was killed by agents of Mohammed bin Salman, the leader of, of Saudi Arabia, that basically soured what was becoming a very good and fruitful uh, a rebirth in the alliance between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, which, let's face it, until Donald Trump and Mohammed bin Salman came along, had been in the doldrums since at least 2003. Yeah. Um, so that murder uh, really set relations back and gave the Biden administration the window it needed to stick it to the Saudis in order to elevate, insanely, I would add, elevate Iran uh, into this uh, you know regional player. Uh, but Khashoggi was, uh, we were told, a journalist, and he did write for the Washington Post, and he was held in high regard by men like David Ignatius and other doyens of the Washington establishment. But he was a spy for the House of Saud. And he was also an Islamist. He was good friends for most of his life with bin Laden. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me, um, and he was, uh, he, he was sympathetic to say the least uh, to the Islamist movement. Now, to be clear, he, he wasn't a jihadist, he wasn't a head chopper, he wasn't teaching kids how to make suicide bombs, and that wasn't his character to do something like that. But he was sympathetic to the political objective. It's very similar, and I say this in that chapter in the book, to how one could not necessarily be a member of, of the violent IRA, but could be a member of Sinn Féin, and still very much support the violence of the IRA during the, the troubles mm. uh, between Britain and Ireland. Now, there was a distinction there, but it was a distinction with little difference. Uh, and so the same thing would be said for Khashoggi. Khashoggi's role, he represented a faction of the House of Saud, the faction that was really in control of Saudi Arabia until 2003. This was the faction represented by um, uh, Mohammed bin Nayef, who was the intel chief of Saudi Arabia. He was the cousin and chief rival to Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, had Hillary Clinton been elected in 2016, it was obvious that bin Nayef would have been 
the leader or the de facto leader uh, of Saudi Arabia that bin Salman ended up becoming. Uh, but, but Khashoggi worked and served bin Nayef's faction. And uh, they were the ones who were friendlier with Islamists. They were the ones who uh, were sympathetic. But the point about, about Khashoggi that I found really interesting is as the left is, is crying about his death, and again, it was a gruesome death. He was dismembered alive in the Saudi consulate in Turkey while trying to get a marriage certificate, and he probably, that dismemberment was probably broadcast via webcam to Mohammed bin Salman. Um, but um, uh, what we know is that uh, uh, Khashoggi was very interested or, and very supportive in the beginning of bin Salman, who had initiated the war in Yemen against Iranian Bakhtuzis. In fact, Khashoggi went on in 2015 to PBS and was vociferously defending Mohammed bin Salman, who was at that time the Saudi defense minister, saying that this was a 1939 moment, that Saudi Arabia was basically playing the role of Great Britain, Winston Churchill's Great Britain, uh, to uh, uh, Iran's not Germany, and that because Obama was not interceding and, and stopping Iranian activities in Yemen, supporting the Houthi rebels, bin Salman will show great leadership and courage by sending Saudi forces to do that when Obama refused to. And so the interesting thing about Khashoggi was that even he, while being an Islamist, while being very, he became anti-MBS, he was very pro-war with Iran. So even he recognized the threat that Islamist Shiite Iran posed not only to the region, but specifically to his country. His point of contention, I thought this was interesting, his point of contention with Mohammed bin Salman was not the human rights abuses. He was a Saudi leader, uh, Khashoggi was. He was familiar and probably had partaken in abuses himself. His point of contention was in 2017 when Mohammed bin Salman uh, became the leader, or the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia, and he was getting too close, uh, Khashoggi thought, to Donald Trump. And Khashoggi believed Trump was too unpredictable and that he wasn't going to uh, be as strong against Iran as even Hillary would have been, if you can believe that. And so that is what's so interesting about Khashoggi. But that's what we're not told, is that Khashoggi was an Islamist. He was friends with bin Laden. He was very pro-Bin Laden until about 1995. Uh, He he maintained close connections with that world, even after falling out with bin Laden, uh, and that he he actually was pro standing up to Iran. He just didn't like Donald Trump. He had Trump derangement syndrome, like the rest of them at the Washington yeah, Post. I was just going to say, yeah, if you get your information from the Washington Post, you're going to have to double-check. If they tell you it's uh, a sunny day, you're going to need to look out the windows and validate it for yourself. That is true today. Or you can read Brandon Weikert. Brandon, I read you every time I every time well, you publish, you. and I learn from well, you every you. time you publish. Bless you, sir. Thank you. You as well. Merry, uh, happy, happy holidays. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Christmas is fine right here. Thank you. You okay, can say thank you. it. You betcha. God love you. Merry <laughs> Christmas. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. I was uh, just fascinated by a small story here that is a big one in a sense. Um, as we already talked about a portion of Kamala Harris's uh, re-imaging tour and how it was an epic fail on a seemingly friendly show. Maybe the first tip on these shows is if someone's name is a caricature or a burlesque, don't go on it. Joe Biden got hung up on this show. 
it's the same show where Joe Biden got hung up on. If you ain't if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Um, that's the same show Kamala Harris decided to go on to uh, before she lost her temper at the end and had to say, my name is Kamala Harris and I'm the vice president, as if we needed that lecture. Very scolding and very unhelpful for the kind of thing you usually want to do if you're trying to rehabilitate your image. In any event, as part of this tour, she gave an interview at the Los Angeles Times two days ago. And the quote in there is kind of interesting to me. She says, and I'm quoting directly, we didn't see Delta coming. I think most scientists did not, upon whose advice and direction we had relied. They didn't see Delta coming. We didn't see Omicron coming. And that's the nature of what this this awful virus has been, which it has turned out has mutations and variants. Now, the reason I thought that strange is, you know, I, I read probably a little more than the average person about this stuff because I wrote a little more than the average person about this stuff and talked about it a little more than the average person on this stuff. So I read a little more. I remember them talking about variants last year, the potential and possibility of variants. So I don't know exactly what she's saying, but that's not my major point. I just expect her to be ill-informed as a default. What I'm trying to get my hand and heads or hands and head around is what would you do if or what would the media do if the vice president Mike Pence had said we didn't see variants coming and that's what the nature of this awful virus has been. It has mutations and variants, especially if he said it two years into the thing. What do you think the response would have been? The response would have been for his head. That's what it would have been. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 